Welcome to the podcast of Herbal Tales, about the history, the symbolism and the use of plants. My name is Annette Breure, a Dutch storyteller, and I love to research and tell about plants, their properties and their role in our culture. I'm trained as a language and culture scientist, but with a father who is a biologist, I had this love for plants from very early on in my childhood. And within Herbal Tales, I'm combining that passion for plants with my love for cultures as well. The role that plants have taken throughout history in our culture as a human beings shows us something about our relationship to nature, but also to our ancestors when we retell these stories. Uh, so I regularly retell traditional stories, sometimes shaping them into something slightly new, adapted to our modern day life. They are still very meaningful to me and to many others. But also, there are so many personal stories that are worth telling and in this episode, I talk with a Brazilian storyteller, Luana Ferreira, and she is also a storytelling coach and a creative entrepreneur. And she shares with us her personal story of her family, of the women in her family, memory of the trees. While we had our conversation in the Amsterdam Oster Park, we were sitting under one of the willow trees she talks about in this story. Not only the willow tree in Amsterdam, but also a guava tree in Brazil and a beach in England are present in this story. Connecting to nature, to our roots, through nature, through culture, through history. Let's listen to Luana. She's also the founder of a very special project, the Eva Stories, a storytelling monthly storytelling event in Amsterdam, but for the past few months on, online by and for women. I'll ask her why did she initiate this project, the Eva Stories. Thank you, Annette. <laughs> and um, yeah, I heard you would like uh, to share a story. It's very meaningful to you personally, but yes. also has a very strong relationship with nature. Yes, that's true. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me here at the Herbal Tales. I'm a big fan of your work. <laughs> I listen to the podcasts and uh, every time that I listen to your voice talking about the trees and nature, I always have this feeling of a very feminine uh, presence around the story and it's like it's beautiful to see <laughs> how you talk about the seasons and how it goes. So I'm very happy to be here and I hope to have you at the Eva Stories very soon. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, um, can you tell about the Eva stories a little bit, how you started that and what it is? Yeah, this is a, a series of uh, storytelling uh, from women about untold stories. 
the stories that we'd never heard. And it was started because my grandma, she started to lose memory. And I realized that I did not know a lot about her family and about her. So I started to interview her and I started to try to get as much as I could before she would uh, lose her memory forever or die. And uh, it's very funny that in this process uh, I went for the stories, but after only I have realized that she has told me plenty of stories, but not in the traditional way of reading books in bed, but teaching me how to cook and teaching me how to garden and to call the flowers and the trees by their names. And that's what this story today is about. It's called uh, The Memory of Trees. And it's an homage to my grandma and to the women that came before me. Mm. And I remember that when I was very young, she would take me by the hand every time that she would show me something very important. And that meant gardening. And that meant also baking bread every Friday. And uh, her garden was not for everyone. She had the herbs, she had the flowers, and there were the trees. And uh, she was a very proud gardener. She was crazy about the roses. She had her favorite that was a king bird flower that was orange and pointy. And uh, my favorites were the beiges, that were those tiny little pink and white flowers with petals so soft as the lips of a woman, I guess. That's why beijo, beijo means kiss in Portuguese. And she told me that they would grow by the river in, this, in the town, the little village that she was born. And when we would go out of the garden, there was a huge guava tree. Have you seen a guava tree before, Annette? <laughs> no. Oh. I know the fruit a little bit, but I've never seen a tree. Yeah, this uh, it's really it's tropical. It's it looks a little bit like it's thin. It's a little bit uh, slim trunk, and it has spots on it, and uh, it uh, its shell is brown, dark brown and light brown, and it peels off as if you know when we go to the beach and uh, we don't use sunscreen and those, our skin starts to feel us a little bit that feeling and um, well uh, the branches are also very slim there was a swing that I used to swing a lot and the flowers uh, they are white and uh, they have hair inside that are a little bit pinkish and uh, those flowers they start to grow a belly very thick green in the beginning and uh, it starts to get thinner and thinner as the fruit grows. And then you have guava. It can be white and red. We had the white one. Mm -hmm. And uh, when it was guava season, all the neighborhood would come to pick up like bags of guava. It was a lot, it was like delicious. And uh, under that tree, uh, we use it to celebrate birthdays and I saw my grandma and my grandpa kissing for the first time imagine <laughs> when they grew old and uh, under I rem the tree under the tree yeah. yes and uh, when I was uh, young I remembered that uh, once I was like with my little book reading and uh, I was upset I don't remember why and my grandma came to me and she said she pointed a hole in the tree and she said that the tree she had ears and every time that I had a wish or a worry, I should whisper to the tree 
and that she would send my wishes or worries to the heart of the earth and that the earth was a generous mother and she would make my wishes come true and she would take away my worries and I kept that so fasting forward 25 years later I'm already here living in Amsterdam and I was going to yoga I was having a bit of a hard time I was mourning my mom because she has passed a couple of years before and uh, I was always cycling I was always hushing I was on that day I came out of my bike and I started walking and when I started walking for the first time I started to stare at the trees and the birds and the lake and suddenly I was mesmerized by this huge willow and the wind was blowing and the branches looked like arms and the trunk looked like a body and the leaves looked like the hair of a woman dancing in the wind and I found that it was so beautiful that every time that I would come out of yoga on Sundays I would pass by that willow tree and I would sit under it sometimes I would meditate sometimes I would mourn sometimes I would write and sometimes I would just watch uh, it's, uh, it's just like uh, that you become the tree and you are seeing like from this perspective of a standing person that's standing tall and then seeing the dogs that come here and drink the water and uh, play with each other together and uh, you see the people that are passing by you see the people that are picnicking it has become such a reference point for me to connect with nature and also with myself it starts to become a part of my life and I realized that every time I would visit the tree I would come back home literally very rooted I remember that my grandmother said that, uh, well, for, I was saying, how long does a tree live, grandma? Of how long does a person live? And then she said, that maybe a hundred years at max, a person. But a tree, she can live up to 200, 450, even a thousand years. I said, wow, a thousand years. And then as a little girl, you see, you start You can't thinking, imagine wow, as a little girl. thousand yeah. years. And then I just think like this giants and uh, yeah, I just had this dream once. It was uh, when my grandmother, she was like already in a very advanced process uh, that um, I saw uh, her arms and uh, but they were becoming like uh, a tree and uh, my arms were becoming like a, a bark and they were becoming like brown and they were becoming like very um, yeah thick and uh, I said oh I'm dying and uh, and then I was very afraid and uh, then I started to see actually light coming from underneath that uh, bark on that uh, you know and it starts to crack and then when it starts to crack there was light coming out and then I could see actually my arm as we are seeing now like uh, white and uh, shiny and everything and uh, what was uh, very powerful is that when I visit my grandmother after that uh, I saw her skin completely brownish and getting like uh, dry as well mm -hmm. because she was getting old and uh, she was approaching the end but that dream I felt so connected and, uh, and I feel that, uh, well, there is a tree uh, sign there as well. It's like when one life or one tree is gone, another comes up. Like your grandmother said, the tree is as, as a person. Yeah. It's actually something I learned 
that uh, the Potawatomi indigenous people in North America, I, I think a lot of indigenous yeah. people say it that way as well, the, the standing people. The standing people, true. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my grandmother, she has indigenous roots. So her mom was uh, Italian, but uh, her father was a native Brazilian. After my mom died, I could not have closure. So it was like a painful grieving process that I think that just this year I could really find peace with. But when my grandma died, I said, okay, I need to mourn. So I'm um, older now and I know how to get this. And uh, well, you don't, <laughs> you never do. But uh, I just thought, okay, uh, I'm going to write her a story. And then uh, the story that I'm telling was uh, actually written and performed in her honor. The Eva stories was also dedicated to her. One year after uh, she died, I ended up uh, in a place that I love to visit, that there are mountains and uh, greens and it's in England, it's in the countryside of England, Somerset. And um, I was sitting in a, staring at the ruins of an abbey, like a very ancient abbey with uh, uh, a tree park with uh, like an apple orchard and, uh, and then I was just there uh, like uh, looking and meditating and resting because it had been a very stressful week for me. And, uh, and then my brother, he calls me. Do you know what day it is today? And then I said, oh yeah, the 12th of May. And then I say, yeah, but do you know what uh, day is it here in Brazil? I say, no, I had no idea. It's, it's Mother's Day. And then I said, oh, it's Mother's Day. And uh, then uh, I looked at, uh, at the bench where I was sitting. And then it was dedicated to someone. Uh, who had died on the 12th of May Ooh. of 1969, something like that. And I say, whoa, spooky. As this one has died, and uh, it is the 12th of May, and uh, well, it's Mother's Day, so I'm going to dedicate a bench for, to the women of my family. I think uh, in this place, I think, well, this coincidence, uh, it's no coincidence. Uh, this is what I should do. And then I came back and I wrote the place and I asked them how was like a bench sponsorship going and uh, they said oh, you cannot um, uh, uh, sponsor a bench anymore because all of them are taken but you can adopt a tree and then I said uh, yes and you know like when you have like this big yes in your heart and you say yes that's what I'm going to do and uh, I said, yeah, but you have to choose the tree. And I said, oh yeah, I'm going to choose. How many trees do you have right there? Ah, 500 something. I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then, in August, there I was with uh, my scrapbook full of stories and the map in my hands, walking through the Glastonbury Abbey, six acres of land with more than 500 trees to find one that was honorable enough to be my family tree and in the beginning it was like uh, I could not imagine a better journey to go through but uh, at the middle of the day I was just thinking okay uh, 500 might be a little bit too much and then I started to see the numbers that made sense to me and I started also to think about what us as a family would be identifiable if I would transform that to trees? Because what I did realize is every time that I went uh, like close to a tree, 
I would feel like in the bark or in the leaves that they were like just as us, as people. Like they had like a different color, a different hair, or a different uh, uh, kind of energy, or a different mm -hmm. flowers. They're like individuals, you mean? Yeah. 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 And uh, then I started to see that, uh, wow, they have been here like much longer than we have. And uh, I, I read somewhere that they communicate through roots and uh, that they even have voices, but we cannot hear because the frequency is different than ours. But there are people that uh, have uh, recorded the voices of the trees. And then I started to think, okay, if I was a tree, if my mother, or my grandmother, they were a tree, which kind of trees they would be? And which trees actually would be like a family tree? And, I, and then there was an image that came into my mind uh, from the last New Year's Eve that we have spent together. And that was like this big Brazilian party, you know, fruits on the table, and there was music, there was dancing, there was drinking. And uh, at midnight, we went to the beach, and uh, all the women of my family were there. And I remember that we were so happy. And uh, we have danced, and uh, we have drunk, we put uh, uh, flowers on the sea, and uh, we have cooked together that meal that we have eaten just after midnight. And then I felt, okay, I feel that it makes sense that our tree is nearby the kitchen. The kitchen of the abbey. Yes. Yeah. And uh, there is, uh, well, uh, this connection in between the family that left Italy and the family that uh, has grown in Brazil. And uh, it should be a happy tree, in a sense. And I have been like uh, through sycamores and eels and uh, lemon, common lemon, special lemons, birches, uh, orchids of uh, apples that I have beaten and taken with me. But it didn't feel like, it didn't really feel like uh, my tree. And then there were two of them that I thought, oh, those ones they could be. And they were like uh, next to each other. And uh, there were two beaches, actually. And uh, in one, I was circling and saying, oh yeah, I could adopt this one easily. And then I went to the other one and I said, mm, this feels more female. And then I stayed there and then staring at those two trees, like for, I don't know, one hour, I wrote poems. I was trying to think, okay, <laughs> like I was seeking for a divine intervention, like to find which tree would be the one because both seemed very good actually and uh, and then I started to walk again around them and then I realized that they had like very deep roots but they also had very shallow roots uh, on the floor and in one of them the roots were blossoming there were flowers coming from the roots and when I look up I see these two divisions in the trunk and then I say ah Brazil Italy that's cool <laughs> and then the Sun shines upon my face and I see like a dragonfly like form like uh, with a purple light and a rainbow thing coming from the chest of the dragonfly and I say okay I was not stoned <laughs> was super clear uh, but it was a kind of magic and at the moment that I thought oh it looks like a dragonfly a real dragonfly came and circled me like three times above my head and went away and then I say okay this is the tree <laughs> it's clear this is the tree and she had like huge branches she was like um, huge huge and uh, and 
beautiful because her in her bark when I started to touch it I started to see forms and I saw like the forms of women like almost as if they were caravaneering like I saw bulls I saw horses and I saw like a whole story being told and then I took a picture and I asked the, my family, like, uh, are you seeing a story here? I'm getting crazy. And I said, oh, no, you're all seeing that. It's okay. The family was also on board. And then I adopted that tree. A tree that was representing the women that came before from Italy, from Torino, the Malvestio, the Bonato, the Paderni, the Soterio, and the Ferreiras. And this story could just end up here but as every end entails a new beginning under that tree I have vowed that I one day would walk on the land where my all my ancestors came from I went to Italy and I ended up in an Etruscan necropolis and the Etruscans they are very old um, people from Italy, they are already extinct. There was a whole um, yeah, ancient culture. Uh, culture going on there, very evolved. They brought the alphabet actually to Italy and it's the alphabet, the Roman alphabet that we use nowadays. And they would build like uh, roads. They were the first to build roads and they would carve the roads on stones. And uh, in one of those roads I was going, <laughs> it was a little bit dark, was a little bit airy, you know, those old those roads from um, 4,000 years ago. I didn't want to be there at night. It was, it was mighty. And then I see like the light at the end of this road and I say, huh, that's how Etruscan paradise may look like. Because <laughs> the feeling that I had is that I was dying and being reborn like eight times on that day. Every time I would visit a tomb or I would discover a new facet of their culture. It's just so amazing. And there, when I arrived at the end of that light, like uh, Triscan Paradise was actually a field with ancient olive trees, 30, 40 of them. And the sun was coming down when I was about to go back to the Via Cava. And at the left side, I saw a beach, a tree as of the same species of the one that I have adopted in Glastonbury much older and then I realized that it was so dark because on top of the tufo stone where they have built the via cava with there were like lots of trees it was like a tunnel made of trees and the, their roots would go through the stone into the ground but also uh, aside the stones feeding the other trees around them so they were a community of trees I must say I was very emotional because then I started to think to myself how much those trees have seen in those years that they have been there if they would have eyes how much they would have heard if they would have real ears to hear and how much they would have talked if they would have mouths talk if we would have ears to hear them. <laughs> and then <laughs> I I didn't have I did have ears to hear, but I didn't have words to say. I was looking for a hole to see if I could <laughs> say a wish there to the to the depths of the earth. But I couldn't. So 
I went there and I danced in honor of the tree. Beautiful. It's me, Luana, and then uh, Maria, that's my mother, and uh, Alzira, that's my grandmother, um, Donaria, that's my great-grandmother, Albertina, that is her mother, and Filomena, that is her mother. And Filomena came from Italy to Brazil? Uh, Filomena and Albertina. So uh, Filomena Turini, uh, she arrived when she was about 40, and uh, Albertina was four years old. Mm. And uh, they arrived in a, in a big family, so there was this part also in the story that uh, they kind of uh, invited uh, 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 patrons and immigrants uh, from uh, yeah, white uh, countries in Europe to populate Brazil. And uh, yeah, it was the first case of uh, institutional racism ever, because they say oh, Brazil is getting too black. Yeah. 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 And that's uh, what we are seeing right now uh, happening there is still like the reverberation of this. Uh, point in time. There is a moment in history and uh, I feel especially uh, now that I'm researching a lot about the Italian uh, roots um, that uh, women they could just not go out if they didn't have a husband. So all the women that were or widowed or uh, abused or their men they, they did not have the same rights as uh, other women for sure. But, uh, and the other women, they did not have the same rights as uh, the, the married women, let's put it like this, uh, as the men. And uh, it went very badly. It was uh, inquisition, there was like a, mm. yeah, persecution and uh, uh, to women that would live like, uh, sometimes they were just poor, living outside in the countryside and they were like, be prosecuted as witches. Mm. And uh, yeah, there a was, lot of them were burned. Like during the so 1600s, 1600s, there was like this movement that I was uh, the Bonandanti, that uh, were really people that would go like at night, like uh, chasing witches, yeah. kind of. And uh, most of the time, these uh, witches, these were women that were connected to the nature. Like if we would, maybe if we, if we would be sitting under a tree telling a story and uh, talking about the bark and uh, and um, yeah the medis the medicine that each plant brings that uh, well you know more about that you know everything about that and uh, uh, we might be prosecuted as witches mm -hmm. just like and then I think that there is a very uh, important point in that story because in that point is where. Uh, I think it was insti institutionalized that it was not safe to be in nature. The book that I found very informative regarding the history and above all the context of the witch hunts that were so, 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 so many women killed uh, is a book by an Italian writer, Silvia Federici, and it is called, the title is Caliban and the Witch. So Caliban is a name from one of Shakespeare's plays, C-A-L-I-B-A-N, Caliban and the Witch, by Silvia Federici. I found that very 
revealing object and I recommend it to anyone actually to read it and understand a little bit more about why society has been silencing women for such a long time and like Luana said it's it revibrating in our current day society actually. I would like to share a traditional story that's also related to this image of a woman as a witch, a woman who maybe has a lot of connection with nature. One of the most common trees to be associated with women is the linden tree. And the linden tree, its official name is Tilia, is also one of the trees that were associated with the goddess Freya, the goddess of the northern countries of love but not only of love also of lust maybe that's also already a dangerous thing or has been seen as a dangerous thing by some institutions but Freya was this associated with the linden tree and this tree is in more cultures seen uh, recognized as having a very feminine side to it a feminine spirit and maybe it's because of the soft, round, curved leaves. The warm, welcoming, maybe consoling scent of the flowers, of the blossoms and the taste. Made into uh, herbal teas frequently. A herbal tea that is said to be comforting um, and especially works against headaches and uh, stimulates fevers sweating so you get over your fever quicker the linden tree might be like soft and round and feminine but Freya was not this soft woman at all she was a very powerful woman a very powerful goddess character that is said to always got what she wanted and to achieve the things that she wanted she had two means of transport one of those uh, means of transport was a giant chariot pulled by two gigantic cats a black one and a white one and when those cats were walking it seemed like the earth was trembling you know they were so big and um, they stepped across rivers and lakes easily but when Christianity came up, and gods and goddesses were put in a, in, a, in a negative light. And Freya has been accused to be a witch. And it is said that the image of a woman as a witch with a black cat comes from Freya, who had these cats with her most of the time. But it was a black cat, right? So maybe the white cat from Freya has walked away just in time. Who knows what had become of that white cat. So the linden tree, the tilia, plays also a role in the history of one of the dryads. A dryad is a feminine spirit in nature connected with whose life is connected to trees in the 
old in the ancient Greek mythology. But the word, the very word, dryad, the root of the word, comes from the word dru, which means oak. There were also a lot of oak trees that had dryads, feminine spirits connected to them. And that's actually noticeable because sometimes one says the linden tree is really the tree connected to women and the oak is a very masculine tree connected with power and masculinity in man. But that was not always the case. Um, Dru, the Greek word, means oak, and the word for dryad comes from it. And also in German, actually, die Eiche is a feminine word. So, probably in pre-Germanic cultures, the oak was also more associated with the feminine. Anyway, I wanted to tell you the story of Filira. ancient Greece, Thelira was lying on the soft earth in a forest. It just happened that her lover had broken out of their embrace and galloped away. Galloped away? Yes, indeed, galloped away. And now the air of the forest was filled with the scent of those dry needles and, you know, rotten leaves. And that scent helped calming down Filira for a bit. Because she had been making love with that lover of her. And that lover of her was Kronos, her cousin. Well, in that time, it was not so weird to make love with your cousin or even to marry your cousin. But what had happened was that at the moment supreme, you know, their high peak moment, a very sharp scream could be heard, and it was Rea's scream. She was Kronos's wife, and she had discovered them. She was staring at them and screamed, and Kronos changed himself transformed himself as quick as possible as he could into a horse with beautiful hairs his nose became long and he was breathing heavily still from the act of love but also he wanted to cause some confusion to distract Rhea and also to be able to escape more quickly so that's why he galloped, he galloped, he galloped away, away from this place where it had happened between him and Filira Filira couldn't believe her eyes to see her lover Kronos chains into this horse just above her and this has caused her to nine months later give birth to a monster it was not a normal baby it was a half horse half man oh the poor filira was this her baby 
It was a centaur, and she called him Chiron. But she felt so ashamed that she asked to be transformed into a linden tree. And she was. She was transformed into sweet-smelling linden tree, which is called in Greek Philira. And her son, the centaur Chiron, had a lot of knowledge, it is said, about the use of plants in a medicinal way. He brought that knowledge, in, knowledge into the world and helped a lot of people with it as well. And he must have known about the use of the linden against headaches and to calm down the nervous system. It's a very caring and soft tree, like his mother was. Chiron also was the one who came galloping onto the battlefield of Troy. It has been war for many, many years, and the Greek were in front of the city of Troy, trying to take the city. But they couldn't. And it was all suffering, a lot of suffering for many, many years until they thought of something smart to take the city from within. And that was a trick with the Trojan horse. Maybe you know it. But before that moment arrived, the hero Achilles was sitting and crying on the battlefield. A hero crying, oh yes. Oh yes, because one of his best friends had been wounded and was lying, bleeding on the battlefield. And it was at that moment that Chiron came galloping with in his arms the herb that could help stop bleeding. And this herb is called Achillea milfolium, yarrow. It is the yarrow. Its official name is Achillea milfolium. Named after Achilles that tried to save the life of his friend with this herb. It's a famous herb because it has been used for so many thousands of years by people to stop bleeding. As one of the first manuscripts in Western history has described it, it is a manuscript by Dioscorides de Materia Medica. He wrote it in the first century after Christ. But also, big quantities of the herb has been found in caves of Neanderthal people. So that has been much more ancient, the use of this herb. Of course, we don't know what for those Neanderthal people have been using the herb for. They haven't written it down. But it has been found in such quantities that it cannot be a coincidence. They have been taking this herb to their caves, the places where they lived, on purpose for something. But maybe not for the use that Achilles used it for and Dioscorides has been has described. But maybe, who knows, they already knew the use for women, for feminine purposes to stimulate menstruation cycle. 
Because yes, apart from the uses, historical uses of yarrow described by the many male authors of history and medicine, yarrow has been used in different ways or for different purposes by women. Although less often described because of course women didn't write often. And also it was contested because the use by women to regulate their menstrual cycle is not often seen as a positive thing throughout history. And apart from regulating the menstrual cycle, the herb can also abort a fruit in the early stages of pregnancy. So there we come back to the image of a woman as a witch. A woman using herbs, a woman maybe close to nature, seen as a witch. And a bad and and good that lie very close together, the medicine and poison. I got to know the yarrow and the use of it actually for the first time in my life in Brazil. Because when I was in Brazil, a lady was talking to me about this herb that she called Amiga da Mulher, the friend of woman. And I said, I don't know that herb, what herb is it? She showed it to me, and of course I knew the herb, it grows street corners, but I didn't know the herb. Amiga da Mulher, Yarrow, Achillean Millfolium. Thank you, Luana Ferreira, for sharing your stories with us. And this was it for this episode of Herbal Tales, the podcast. If you would like to support this podcast, you can do so by sharing it with other people, subscribing to it on the podcast channel you're using, and maybe leaving a review as well. And we hope you enjoyed, and um, until next time, bye-bye. Everything I mention in this podcast about the use of herbs is not meant as a medical advice. I tell about the use of herbs from a historical and cultural perspective.